0: This is Terry Crosby, Andy Steiger, Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. All right, we are happy you are with us, listeners. We're back for another week. Hello. Here we are. Here we are. I'm still kicking, Terry. Oh, man. That's good. Hey, you just had a birthday. You're past 40, moving into the 50s. Well, technically, (laughs) Terry.
1: Technically, Terry, I hate to. (laughs) <laughs> Put a damper on things, but tomorrow's my birthday. actually. Oh, tomorrow! Yeah, yeah. how dare okay. you? Well, all right. You, you insensitive.
0: Got one- <laughs> you got one monster more day. <laughs> before the, everything falls apart. So I know. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. It is one of those depressing moments where you realize you're getting older, and I am going to be forty-one, Terry. Forty-one. That's a good good age. No, it's not.
0: Okay. No, I didn't think <laughs> so either. You know, but- I
1: had, I, I had a backhanded compliment the other day. Uh, actually I didn't hear this. I was told this. My wife told me, yeah, somebody said, Wow, Andy. That was at our table. Oh yeah. really? Yes, yes, yeah, yes, so yes. you're part of that. I thought <laughs> I thought he was oh, older. Oh, I laughed hard. Yeah, oh, I, I, laughed I hard. thought he was older. He's he's accomplished so much in his life. So I'm not really sure how to take that. <laughs>
0: yeah, great. No, great. she 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 actually thought you were closer to fifty. Oh,
2: I'm just,
1: I'm out of here. I'm
2: <laughs> oh, look
0: at me.
1: <laughs> I'm
0: throwing chairs over here. You can still actually lift one. Yeah. <laughs> <It's
2: good>. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Steve, well, how's happy it going, man?
0: Yes. Happy birthday to you, Steve. How you doing? How's that rash happening?
2: <laughs> I don't have a rash, thankfully. I... I um feel exactly like i was you know 40 years old minus one day so i'm assuming yeah you know this 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 is good this is okay i can live with this welcome to 40
1: steve it sucks except for (laughs) except for you've got the asian curse of not aging yeah. Until you're 80, and then all of a sudden you look like you're going to die. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. my wife will wake up one morning and she's going to be like, duh, who are you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a blessing and a curse, really. Wow. December 11th today. We are moving into the Christmas time. Yes, we are. We actually got our tree up December 1st.
1: I got it up actually in November this year because I feel... I feel (laughs) particularly festive this year. Okay, tell us Uh, all about this. Lights are up and trees up. I don't know. I just found myself uh, looking forward to Christmas this season. Maybe it's because things have been so hectic around here that I'm looking forward Mm -hmm. to not doing anything but eating, sleeping, watching things, opening presents. Nice. And just staring off
0: into the distance. So you're not going anywhere? Not going anywhere. Nice. Steve, what are you doing?
2: Well, uh, we're not really going anywhere either. I mean, the whole point of... As well, maybe not the whole point, but one major reason we moved out to Alberta was to be closer to family. So now that we live across the street from my brother-in-law and his family, often it's uh, my parents-in-law who will come up to the Edmonton area, and so we're not really going anywhere, but we'll be celebrating here. It's our second winter living through this nasty cold weather, but uh, with family, it's more than bearable. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's get
1: a Temperature check there in uh, Edmonton. Where are you Um, at?
2: Yeah, right now it is lightly snowing, (laughs) and it's (laughs) it's balmy minus fourteen. Oh mercy! (laughs) Feels like minus twenty. Not so bad.
1: Yeah, that's when the death clock starts to appear in the sky over Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've done enough chit-chat, I think. Yeah, we need to jump <laughs> into things here. Terry, I'm excited to talk about this article. This one came across our news feed recently, and then we thought, you know what? We really need to talk about this, this especially in light of Christmas.
0: Yeah, so the article title is, Don't Believe in God? lie to your children. The alternative is to tell them they're simply going to die and turn to dust. That's the article that we're going to interact with today. I think I talked about this
1: once that I was in a library with my kids and we came across a book sponsored by the Canadian government of all things. God bless them for using their money so wisely to sponsor a book called You Are Stardust. And that's exactly what it did. It told you it was a kid writing like a Like a star across the sky, or it was just ridiculous. And basically, explained to my children that they're made from carbon. Carbon's made from dying stars, and thus they are stardust. They are cosmic waste that will ultimately ride a star for a little while in this children's book, and then eventually just go back into cosmic dust. Pretty depressing worldview.
0: So ultimately, this article, the summary is basically that you know you want to teach. The idea of God to your children, because it basically is the best support for them as they grow up, kind of thing, right?
2: It has uh, certain psychological benefits to believing in God and heaven and all of those things, and so then the trouble is, well, what if I, as a parent, for example, don't believe in God, and the 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 writers' take on it is, well, lie to them because it is beneficial to them psychologically.
1: Now, here's an interesting point that I brought up before want to bring up again. There's a book called Born Believers in which there's quite a bit of research out on this subject that the reality is you don't have to lie to your child about God in, in the sense that children come into the world with the natural belief that God does exist. Atheism is an unnatural belief. Theism or the belief in God is a, is a natural belief. You come into the world ha- having that idea. And I, and I can tell you uh, that both of my children— have always believed that God existed, didn't really need to teach that to them. Now, interestingly enough, with it being Christmas around the season, I, just for the fun of it, wanted to see would they believe Santa Claus, right? One child will believe almost anything I say with regards to, like, Santa, but the other one would have nothing to do with it. He thought that's the most ridiculous idea that he had ever heard, and there's no way that he'd believe that there's a big fat man flying around the world with reindeer giving out
2: presents. Committing breaking and entering... (laughs)
1: uh steve what about you uh what about maya um
2: would you agree this is something you just you don't actually have to even teach it just yesterday i overheard maya talking to Tavin about santa claus and how santa claus isn't real magic isn't real those kinds of things right i heard her say that and yet to her the belief in god comes very naturally to her In terms of her disbelief in Santa Claus or magic, I'm a little ambivalent about that. I've got mixed feelings because on the one hand, it feels like she's been robbed of that sort of enchanted world that she might be entitled to. But on the other hand, yeah, that's true. And so I'm I'm glad that she grabbed hold on to the truth. But it was fascinating just observing that, you know, she, she knows clearly, yeah, Santa Claus isn't real, but God is real. So, I guess in some ways, this is the way
1: our culture can view this is like, okay, hey, listen, your child comes into the world with a belief in God. Maybe you should just allow that belief to perpetuate. I have read articles where atheists have tried to teach their child not to believe in God. There's some pretty funny articles you can read out there where they get pretty frustrated uh, because easier said than done with a child. Now, later on, that can change. But what's interesting with this article, though, is this guy's saying, no, 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 you— You should allow that belief. If anything, lie to them that this is the way that it is. And in particular, one of the things that was brought up in the article that I think is important to consider in the culture that we live in today is the amount of anxiety that young people are experiencing. She says, "In an age of broken families, distracted parents, school violence, and nightmarish global warming predictions, imagination plays a big part in a child's ability to cope." And so he's saying listen, this belief in God is going to help them cope in this world. What do you guys think about that? Well, I guess we could look at this from two perspectives, the atheist perspective and the Christian perspective. Do you think this is a good thing to,
0: to you know, lie, pretend with your child? So I saw this quote and I keyed in on that word imagination. And I thought to myself, yeah, I mean, kids really come into this world with a lot of questions and lots of thoughts. And, you, you know, you can think back to your own childhood when you're looking up into the stars and wondering and all this kind of stuff. Right. But I think this imagination is the way he's talking. She's talking about it here is that this is just another made up thing, but it's good for them to tell. For you to tell the children, right? Like Santa Claus. Like Santa Claus, it's exactly. It's fun.
1: Yeah. It, you know, it's imaginative. Just give them the lie.
0: Yeah. And we're. I mean, we're inundated with so much stuff in the world that is negative. Uh, this pessimistic world it, that we have. Yeah, we have to do something. And I was really, really, it struck me how many articles out there uh, online that you can read about what, religion does for people in a positive sense Mm -hmm. there's lots of articles out there but it's not in the sense that you know they're promoting christianity it's just a good thought it helps people cope and move on in life
1: yeah you're right i've seen that uh, over and over again the amount of research has shown the positive effects of religion however that raises some serious concerns you know do i believe because you know there's these positive effects and so i it becomes plain pretend for its health benefits right or is this an issue of truth uh what about you steve how you
2: yeah, I think we read an article and discussed it on our podcast once before, I think a couple of years ago, didn't we, about this research that came out saying that, you know, just because you're religious doesn't mean that you're happy, but it's actually the ones that really believe it, right? <laughs> like they, People that they call the intrinsic believers, they tend to show all the positive correlations. And there is one group of people who were just absolutely miserable, more so than all the rest. And those were what they call the extrinsic believers. So these are people who attend church, you know, maybe twice a year, once for Easter, once for Christmas, or go to church service, expecting to get something out of it. You're not going there with the mentality of, I'm going to serve God and others, but you're going there with the mentality, I'm going to be served. I'm going there for the programs. And, and those kinds of believers, they... They were the most miserable of them all. uh, I
1: was just going to say, on top of that, this article quotes this as well. Uh, In it, it says, Children or teens who reported attending a religious service at least once per week scored higher on psychological well-being measurements and had lower risk of mental illness. Weekly attendance was associated with higher rates of volunteering, a sense of mission, forgiveness, and lower probabilities of drug use and an early sexual initiation.
2: Yeah, I mean, in a sense, when I look at this from the Christian worldview, I'm not surprised, right? That we God created us in his image. God created us to have a relationship with him. He created us as religious beings. So when we are truly religious, then you would expect to see positive results coming from that. Um, So in some ways, you know, the fact that little babies seem to be hardwired for belief in God and that committed kind of religious practices tend to have positive results for us, you know, those kinds of things, I'm not surprised.
1: Now, I think we got to be careful, though, when we talk about religion and that religion is good for us. Don't you agree, Steve, though? We got to be careful not to cast uh, too wide a net because mm-hmm. I, would, I would argue that there's plenty of religions that aren't good and that can be just as anxiety-building as no religion at all. And I want to take a moment to do that because I think that there's something quite important that's being tapped into in this article that speaks to the hope that's found in Christianity. I saw this uh, with my own son. One day, he was just having a bad day and he was crying and I remember I talked to Nancy, my wife, and I was like, "Nance, what's up with Tristan? Like, he's having a rough day." And she said, "Yeah, you should talk to him. He was reading a book, and his favorite character in the book died." And so I uh, went and had one of those heart-to-heart moments with your son, you know, and he and he told me about this story that he read, and about how his favorite character in the book died. But the the character in the book didn't just die, and I thought this was interesting and this was hard for my son to deal with. The idea of death is one thing, but what I began to realize as I was talking with my son is that death wasn't scary. It was relational brokenness that was scary. So when this character died, why why my son was crying was because he was now alone. So the story was supposed to be told in a good way that look, he's not dead, you know, but he's not with his family friends or anything. He's just isolated in this other world and for my son that was just as awful right so it wasn't this idea that oh if i live forever oh then everything's good and i don't have anxiety anymore and you know the world is all of a sudden a a good place again i think it's uh, it's much deeper than that
0: so the article really keys in on the the mental illness part and right now we have this loneliness epidemic that is in our culture. And you just mentioned it. And this is creating a lack of relationship. Mm-hmm. There was one statistic and it was for Canada and it said 28% of the homes right now are solo homes. Wow. People are in, on their own. They have no community. They have no relations.
1: That's an interesting, by the way, it's an interesting aspect of the housing crisis. We especially feel here over in the, the West coast where People forget that a lot of the lifestyles that are taking place, whether that's a lot more singleness, whether that's broken families, whether that's homosexuality, you name it, there are many lifestyles being chosen right now that require or often lead to single occupancy or the need for, say, if you take a broken family, now all of a sudden there's a need for two houses and the child will go back and forth between the two. But I think you're absolutely Right. I think this is why we got to hone in on this. This idea of loneliness, this idea of broken relationships is absolutely crucial to what's being talked about here.
0: And I think teaching the kids gives them that sense of community. I mean, talking about God provides them with a framework of how relationships work and how community works.
1: Well, the author writes this. She says, in an individualistic, narcissistic, and lonely society, religion provides children a rare opportunity for natural community. Mm. And in fact, I heard this from a friend of mine recently as a church planter in Quebec. He had a, we're actually going to have him on the show soon. There was an atheist that came to their church and he asked him "You know why he was there. And he says, well, of everywhere that I can go to find community, he says, this is the only place I know of that I can go that doesn't cost me money. And I, I thought, how, <laughs> how interesting is that, right? Like church provides free community. I don't yeah. think we've thought of that before.
0: I mean, you even went on to describe that story of him crying or something. Well, at, at, the the end, end of, right? at the end of the service, this guy's crying
1: and says to my friend, I've got to rethink this whole Christianity thing, right? Because it's tapping into there's this need, you know, and Steve, you're getting at this. This fundamental concept of what leads to human flourishing—they're identifying that within this, you know, certain religious traditions. Now, the author comes from a Jewish tradition and talks about, you know, those benefits of community that come from these religions. But there is a an important issue at play here. There's there's a couple issues I want to talk about. One of those being. That there are deeper relational needs in the human heart than another human can fill. This is something that my friend Noi from Thailand helped me to appreciate. And Noi grew up Buddhist. If you don't know, uh, Buddhists don't uh, believe that God exists. Most, most do not. And in fact, there's even a form of Buddhism that's in Thailand called Theravada Buddhism that believes that everything is just an illusion. And so you could imagine that this would create anxiety. And then to make matters worse, she grew up in a small village. She grew up with stunted growth and an eye deformity that were just a lightning rod for people's mocking of her and just abuse. This ultimately led to Noi trying to really find her identity in making money. She goes off to Bangkok, goes to university to go into business. And the whole idea is I'm going to need to you know, make money and then people will respect me. And she's hoping that she'll be able to build relationship that way. doesn't work. She's lonely at university. And an aunt of hers says, you know, I, I hear that Christians are welcoming people and, and that, you know, you could go to a church and get connected into a community. The aunt wasn't a Christian. She was Buddhist, too. Uh, but Noi was like, okay, well, that sounds good. I, I need friendship. So, I'm you know, she goes to church. It just it ends up, she doesn't know a church, by the way. All she knows is that churches tend to put crosses on things. So, she found uh, one of these buildings with a cross on it across her campus and attends. And there she finds, you know, relationships. She finds community, but she finds something much more than that. She finds that there's this relational need in her for a relationship with God that ends up changing her life. It's an incredible story. We had her at the Apologetics Canada conference uh, last year. And I just so appreciate what she's tapping into and helping to explain there that religion can often help you to get to that one layer, if you will, of human need of relationship that can be fulfilled at one level with other persons Uh, with other human beings, and that that's a good thing, but that there is much more to it than that. And that's where this idea of what kind of religion are we talking about here, what what kind of view of God are we talking about here, is an
2: important concept in this discussion. Yeah, because if you think about it, Buddhism, especially the Theravada form of Buddhism, it's all about self-reliance, right? You ultimately have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps to reach nirvana. And so you detach yourself from the community around you to be a monk. Because in Theravada Buddhism, that's the only way you can attain Nirvana is if you become a monk or a nun or something like that, right? And I remember Yeah, so that- in Thailand and Myanmar, they'll often become a monk even just for a day. That's part of their tradition. Right. Uh, And so I remember hearing this one particular story uh, that Ravi Zacharias told where he had a chance to go to Sri Lanka and meet this one woman who was the first ordained female monk in Sri Lanka. When he sat down with her, started chatting with her and asked her, so you're telling me that in order for me to attain nirvana I have to abandon my family my children and everything and leave everything is that right and he said she sat there in silence for a moment and then her lips started quivering saying that's the hardest thing that I have to do in being a female monk and I still go see my children from time to time you know and and so I think ultimately that kind of self-reliance, ultra sort of individualistic, hyper-individualistic kind of a worldview is unlivable, I think. And we're seeing the effects of that, I think, in our society where the, the younger generation, we're seeing a spike in mental health illness, anxiety, depression, all those kinds of things.
1: You know, a great example of that, Steve, uh, was illustrated to me when I was on the border of Thailand and Laos. I was doing some training for pastors, Laotian pastors, and there was this pastor from Laos who was formerly a Buddhist monk, and he and I were having dinner and through a translator, he was explaining to me the kind of anxiety and the sadness that he experienced in Buddhism knowing that. Yeah, And you got to think about this, right? Here's a religion, but it's a religion that ultimately leads to separation. And the idea being in nirvana, the etymology of that word means to snuff or to blow out like a candle. And he and I were talking about this. And so he's like, so he's like, Andy, you got to think about this. I'm I'm living my life with the goal to cease to exist. And it goes back into that anxiety building, you know, depression where this is terrible. And when he has explained the gospel and he meets Jesus Christ, right? It, this is a life-changing moment where he begins to see, yes, that relational need I have in humans is good. And I was created that way, but I was created for something much more. I was created for a relationship with God, and this is an important concept that we talked about the other day, and when we talked about the Good Place, that TV show, which I've I've continued to watch. By the way, I am into season <laughs> two, and I now know the plot twist. Maybe one of these days we'll have to bring that up. But that that show cracks me up. <laughs> uh, but in that show, one of the things that's missing is God. This is a key concept to Christianity: is that and, and that my son was talking about when he was crying with the regards to that book. It's not just about living forever. This could actually be torture. There's often a thought experiment that goes, you know, if there's an astronaut on a moon on the moon and has the choice between two vials, right—the poison or the uh, or a vial that for eternity. I think you've brought this up, Steve. Mm-hmm. You know, and accidentally drinks the one where you live forever. I mean, that would be you know brutal. It'd be awful, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not it's not the eternity that people are after. It's the relationship that they're after. They it's often misunderstood.
2: In a sense, again, from a Christian worldview, uh, this seems to fit the picture really well, right? Because it is taught that we are made in the image of God and the very God in whose image we're made is himself intrinsically a relational God within his own being in the person of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And so that's one of the reasons why I love the Trinitarian theology over against other Unitarian theology, like the concept of Allah, who is uh, unipersonal, right? There's only a single person, single God, whereas we're Trinitarian. So there is one God, but God is intrinsically relational. And I think that grounds so many things in our world. That I'm thinking of not only relationship, but, you know, like morality, which is a relational concept and so on and so forth. I had
1: a, uh, Jehovah's Witness at my door the other day talking with him. We had a great conversation, by the way. I highly encourage you to engage with Jehovah's Witnesses when you get a chance. They don't come door to door that often anymore, but but I had two of them at my door. Sometimes I feel sad that they chose my door to come to um, <laughs> in that uh, I always just I love talking with them and giving them something to think about. And in this instance we talked about the Trinity, and, and a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses just have this idea that we've just decided to believe this bizarre doctrine, but they don't, in the, in their mind, bizarre doctrine, but they don't appreciate that there's actually good reasons to believe the doctrine of the Trinity besides it being taught in the Bible. And one of the things I love doing, if I could just give you some advice in talking with Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, often bringing philosophy into the conversation is one of the best things you can do. They uh, Theology obviously is important, but it's very helpful to ground it with some logical thinking because they're not prepared for that. Their logical thinking is how the New World Translation Bible that they use, how it's been translated and the doctrine that's been taught to them, like that's their logical thinking. I've been told to believe this, thus it's true. So when you talk through the Bible and you give them a different perspective and you buttress it with philosophy, it can often be very helpful. I want to take this conversation in a slightly different direction, though, that I think is important maybe as we wrap up here. I want to ask you guys a question. It's a question that my mom once brought up with me when I was a kid and I've thought about ever since. My mom asked, if you found out that Christianity wasn't true, would you still believe it? And she said to me that she would still believe it because it had changed her life and because it was so influential in her life, the flourishing, if you will, that she experienced in her life, she's like, I would still believe. What about
0: what do you guys? Well my first thought is no, I wouldn't believe if it came to the fact that it's not true. I couldn't put it as a kind of placebo effect in my life. There's no way I could do that. If it's true, it's true. If it's not, it's not. And you I, I would move on. Steve?
2: In my case, I probably would stop believing in Christianity but I would probably live as though it is true, um, knowing that it is false. And by that, I mean, I'm already entrenched in a culture, right, with my family around that all believe it. You know, like there, there's a church that they all attend, And so it is It is such a, a part of my life right now. I mean, at the end of the day, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then that's game over, right, for Christianity. And I would stop believing But for the sake of maintaining the peace in the home and things like that, I might go on pretending to believe at least.
1: Now, this is one of the parts that gets a little tricky with this whole question, isn't it? That my mom would have still stayed in it because it was changing her life and was so significant. But I think one of the things we have to appreciate is, is that because though it's true? Because it's true, it's changing your life and is so significant and is doing the work that it's doing. See, here's the thing that goes through my mind, is all of us deal with pride. All of us deal with our arrogance and our own narcissism, right? Our individualism. And one of the things that we're taught in the Bible is that that's not good and will not lead to your flourishing. And so Jesus says, take up your cross daily daily. And follow me, right? And so, ultimately, what he's talking about is you need to die to yourself and your selfishness and your pride, and your individualism, your your narcissism that often separates you from people, right? And, and from God, you need to die to that, and you need to trust me that if you that if you die to that and you follow my way, and he talks about uh, you know loving people right? Talks about humility, talks about gentleness, and that this is actually going to lead to your flourishing. And so, ultimately, then that means that I'm going to need to trust that God does exist and does know what actually will lead to my flourishing, which goes against what I think. Mm -hmm. I think my pride, right? I think my narcissistic tendencies are good, And so, that's the part that goes on in my mind, is if I came to the belief that God didn't exist, then why would I trust that His way of telling me that's going to flourish is actually true? Now, here I am, I've been a Christian for a number of years now, and I can look back and go, God has been faithful, I've trusted Him, I continue to pick up my cross and die to myself daily because I am an incredibly prideful, arrogant, narcissistic human being right? And yet, as I've trusted him and followed, it has led to my flourishing. So, I think that that becomes a challenge right there. But I guess where I'm I'm leaning in all of this is that the reason that I trust God is because I do believe that God does exist, and I don't want to live in a world of pretend. So, here's what I think, though, happens in our culture. Our culture, then, instead of saying, okay, Let's just pretend like God exists and do life in this way, right? Particularly in a Christian context. Instead of doing that, what our culture tends to do is to buy into our narcissistic, individualistic tendencies, and more and more, we're not having children to even lie to them, right? If people come to the conclusion that this is all for nothing, and the world is incredibly anxiety-building and depressing— Uh, My my prediction is you're just going to see more and more people not having children at all.
0: A couple thoughts. I mean, we're moving into a season where there's going to be a lot of thought about God and Jesus, you know, coming into this world. At the same time, there's so much anxiety that happens from a lot of people around this time. With regards to life and situations and stuff like that. Not only is this good for kids to think about this idea of God and life that way, but adults as well, right? As we're moving into this season.
1: Well, that's the joy of the Christmas season, right? Is that we're not playing pretend. Yeah. And that it actually is true. Yeah. One of the things that I love about Christmas. And as I and as Christmas draws near that I've been thinking about more and more is the humility of Christmas that it's not just a true story but it's a story that I would want to be true that's the beauty of it we're not talking about a narcissistic individualistic god that came and showed you just how great he is You know, and came in power and and might and all this. No, it's a God who came in humility. Christmas is about humility. This God who doesn't come to be served, but came to serve. A God that didn't come to lift himself up, he came to lift you up. And so when I read in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's where you're going to find it. That's what we celebrate at Christmas is Jesus is the anxiety killer, that we have hope. I guess often those words have just become lip service in our, in our world that we forget. No, Christmas is actually about hope. It's
2: actually about peace. It's actually about joy, because it's true. Yeah, we're sucking air in the same world that God himself actually broke into human history in the form of a little babe. It's not just that enchantment, in this sense, is just wishful thinking, but I'm actually living in that enchanted world.
0: So there's a lot to think about this time of season. and A lot to celebrate. It is, you know, it can be a hard time, but it is a joyous time as well. So let us
1: help our children to believe in God, Mm -hmm. because it's not a lie, because it is true, and you won't just turn to dust. But one day, you will live forever in relationship with God and people the way things were meant to be. Anything else, Steve? Word. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, As we close here, just want to mention quickly that tickets for the Paul Jakes Canada Conference in March are selling faster than they've ever sold before. So if you plan on joining us, uh, buy your tickets soon. We're going to be talking about the future. I just got back from San Diego with Lee Strobel. He and I talked about where things are heading in the next decade. But this conference this year is more than just talking about where are things going, but we want to give good answers so that we're prepared for the decade
0: to come. Love for you to join us. Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is the Ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us again. We always... uh, Love to have you listening to us, and uh, Andy and Steve are here with uh, with me, to this week.
1: Do you want to try that again? <laughs> I call that
0: verbal diarrhea.
1: <laughs> oh man, Steve, you should just leave that in. Let's just move on. Let's
0: just move on.